Welcome to the Multi-Purpose Room, a podcast helping school organizations and school administrations achieve their goals. Each episode discusses real-life topics that PTAs, PTOs, and school staff are dealing with. Our hosts and guests offer practical tips, learnings, and best practices to achieve their desired outcomes. Here are your hosts, Wesley and Deborah Jones. As the school year comes to an end, you may be struggling to find your passion for teaching. Maybe you're tired of the textbook or the monotony of the days. Or maybe the pandemic has given you a new energy and inspiration to improve your classroom curriculum. Either way, the summer is a great time to reevaluate, get energized, and find your passion, the reason you went into that classroom in the first place. Our guest today did exactly that four years ago. And as a result, he threw out his textbook, overhauled the way he teaches, and is now super passionate about the way he teaches his middle school curriculum. Today, he will share some tips on how you can change your methods and get the buy-in to do so. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for having me on. My name is John Hinthorn. I am an educator to and through and all about and... I grew up in a house of educators. My mom's early childhood. My dad was a professor of 52 years, a math professor. And so I knew the life and I knew the life was grand. I actually resisted it for most of my upbringing, as most of us do who have parents, you know, of a profession that we're currently in. And long story short, I've worked in six different schools, four different states, every type of school from private to public to charter. And it's just been a wild ride. It's been absolutely amazing. I would say some highlight moments for me in my background would be my service in the AmeriCorps programs called City Year and Citizen Schools. And these were programs that basically put extra boots on the ground in schools that needed extra boots and changed the fabric of the way that I view education and the way I view myself as an educator and gave me hope for all students. Um, Not that I didn't have hope before, but I saw education working for everyone, regardless of socioeconomic or racial inequities going on. And I find myself currently working in my second project-based learning school in the central coast of California. So there's a lot in between there, but that's kind of a summary of my background and what brings me to an unconventional teacher. I have a podcast and I'm trying to pay it forward on all the amazing things that I've been given and gifted from all my mentors and my experience. You have a podcast and it is titled The Unconventional Teacher. And so tell us more about that unconventional. How do you define that? What does that mean for you and how you teach? So it's been it's been a journey. I think stepping back and just looking at this project from where it was born, I'm a Spanish teacher, high school Spanish teacher right now. I'm teaching Spanish one and two. And my Spanish two class is all designed around Spanish within the lens of social justice and injustice. And looking at agriculture and immigration and all these topics that touch the Latin American world and and consequently the United States. And I had my students working on a podcast. And that was their that was their project, right? They were answering the question, you know, along the lines of, of what does immigration look like? And 
and they were they were they were really just looking at social justice issues that were interesting them interesting to them and so I said here make a podcast and then a couple of them were asking me how do you make a podcast and I realized I'd never made a podcast so I decided to make make an episode that's my episode one it's awful you know I shouldn't tell people that but it's just like my first attempt at it and me trying to get in there with my hands and trying to figure out what is a podcast what does it look like and and do it by trial by error and and a lot of error happened and then people said they liked it and said I should continue on with it and maybe do an interview setup as soon as I stepped out with this project and said an unconventional teacher those types of people said yeah I'll come on your show that sounds amazing just the name unconventional. I think people are seeking right now, especially right now in this COVID hybrid learning, whatever people are doing right now. And it's incredibly difficult. We're all first year teachers and we're all having to be unconventional because of our context. And so the, the com- communication on Instagram and um, all the different social networks is, is all the same, that people are seeking a new way, a fresh way. And education has by our context been thrown on its head, but I had already thrown my own situation on its head. So it was like, I was kind of four years in advance of all this. And I decided to start this pay it forward project. So you teach in a different way. You mentioned throwing out your teaching playbook, but if you think about how do you teach differently than a traditional, a conventional, if you will, teacher teaches? Sure. Well, I'll look at it through specifically my lens of being a language teacher, right? And I think a lot of people have had the experience of taking a language class. Am I right? And maybe you two have done that. And I would maybe be right in guessing that the majority of that class was centered around a textbook, go to page 212, do numbers one through eight, practice this grammar concept, go and memorize these vocab words, right? Um, And the language learning community has basically come out in the past five or six years at least and said there's a better way and this way is mirroring more how a baby learns language and i know you're both parents um so you you've seen language develop from its infancy literally and we're realizing the second language acquisition is definitely not the same but it's similar um, to first language acquisition in the sense of tons of tons and tons of input and then output will naturally come um, output being the speaking and the writing input being the sync the um, the listening and and the reading so basically um, I spent my first uh, few years teaching Spanish out of a textbook because that's how I learned that was the expectation of the private school I was working at and it's just the way that we did it I slugged through a textbook you know my other colleagues were, were asking me the questions like, what chapter are you on? Have you done this vocab unit yet? And I said, no or yes. And it was just like, that was our conversation. Um, I went to a conference five years ago, the uh, California Language Teachers Association conference, and I was not feeling it. I walked out of a, 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 um, you know, a training and just, it was like this very specific thing. And wasn't really helpful for me and 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 I and I looked down the hallway and there's this lady who is leading this training in this football field it felt like of an amphitheater and it was standing room only 
and I like wheedle, whittle my way through or whatever the word is. And I'm, and I get in there and I find a seat, you know, I was that guy like knocking everyone over and stuff, trying to get into a seat and, and oh my goodness, I have given her so much credit on Twitter. And I think she thinks that I'm a stalker, but she changed almost probably everyone in that room in the way that we think about. And I, and I use the, the example, the textbook, this is way, way further than just the textbook, but she had a helper, you know, a, a kind of a co co-trainer and the co-trainer comes out and he's like, who's, who's chained to this? You know, he like, he gets all amped up and we're like, uh, we, you know, we use our textbook. We're all raising our hands. And, and then all of a sudden he just throws it across the room and we're like, what did he just do? You know? And, and it was that moment where I realized, Hey, I can do that. And then for the next hour, she proved to us why actual language learning and comprehensible input, right, is the word, kind of the code word right now in world language, give the students as much language that they can understand in usually audible form, sometimes reading form, and eventually they'll rise and they'll start creating language. And that language will be probably amazing and authentic and what people actually say in the language. So I did it. I threw my textbook away. I got rid of all my desks. I literally, like day one of coming back from that conference, I, I drank her Kool-Aid. And I said, I, I believe you. Let's do it. I'm tired of using the textbook. We had a 15-year-old textbook. It was antiquated. You know, like, uh, just go and repeat the whatever and go and learn the vocab words and my same students are doing well then my you know other students are not doing well and there's a few right in the middle I was just tired of it it was the same old same old and as soon as I got back my students cited a new energy they cited an incredible flip of excitement for the class they immediately gave me rave reviews of some of the new strategies that I was implementing they loved not having any desks although some complained, you know, some sat in the corner, like chained to their desk because they were all used to it and needed some place to write. We weren't even writing, but they like wanted a place to write and feel secure. So we let them have it. We did this cool strat. I don't know how, so I don't, I don't know how specific you want me to get, but we used these phrases called passwords. And it's this incredible strategy that's super simple. Basically, you need a password to enter my classroom. And the password is a phrase or a word that's super high frequency, that has a lot of meaning, and that can be moved and used in many different contexts. So like the word dangle, right? Dangle means I have, it also can mean pair up with dangle hambre, which means I have hunger or I'm hungry. And it's just a power word, right? And you give them that phrase for a week, and they can't enter your classroom unless they say it. And they use some sort of original vocabulary around it. So as they're walking, you can imagine these high schoolers, ninth graders and 10th graders, and they're outside my classroom and they are, you know, on their phones trying to look up new vocabulary because they can't enter my classroom without saying the password and coming up with some sort of creative, you know, approach to using the password. And then the password lives on in my classroom throughout the week, right? We're looking at different ways to, to explore that word. And it was like one strategy, all of a sudden, livened up my classroom, had students jumping at the bit to get, not every student, but most of my students jumping at the bit to get in the classroom. And it was meaningful, creative, 
student-owned, student-centered, everything that a teacher wants. One strategy in, of many, and you know, the desk, the textbook uh, out the window. We use the textbook actually a few times to make tortillas. You know, it makes a really good press because they're kind of heavy. But Nice. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the shift. And I feel better. Oh, my gosh. I feel so much better. I love going to work. I'm not ever asked, like, what chapter I'm at. Have you done this by this? And those, those, those are okay things to ask. But instead, people are saying, hey, what, what, what project are you working on right now? You know, what, what real life question are your students asking right now and answering? And those are so much more empowering, so much more fun to do. It sounds like you have a fun classroom and I'm really jealous that I'm not a high school student right now. Come on in. Come on in. Anybody's welcome. I love the idea of having a podcast. I mean, it's both innovative and it gets kids to get out of their shell and have to speak the language, but it's also entrepreneurial, which is something I also enjoy. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about this? Is this something that teachers can apply only to language arts? Can they apply this to Mm -hmm. other um, disciplines within education? Can you tell us a little bit more? Absolutely. So yes, is the answer. I think where you need to go, if you're a teacher listening, if you're an educator, and you are sick and tired, I feel like this is an infomercial. If you are sick and tired of the old ways of, uh, of doing things, or just kind of like, it might be a little stale. You know, that's kind of where I was. It was just a little stale. Were we having fun? Were we watching videos? Sure, we were having tons of fun right? A Spanish class is awesome. But, you know, maybe you're in a math class, or maybe you're a math teacher, and uh, or you're an ELA teacher, or a social studies history teacher, and you're, you're thinking, okay, how do I make these standards, these state standards that, you know, are my task to explore with my students and, and, and try to bring them to a level of proficiency in? I, how do you do that? And how do you do that so that they're having fun, right? Every teacher wants that. Uh, who wants a dull job where the kids are sitting there and bored and all that jazz? And I think teaching is so multifaceted and so complicated that when you prescribe yourself to a curriculum, right, and, and maybe you have to do this curriculum, and you're not invested, that can be the most debilitating thing ever. And it just takes the winds out of your sails. So what I would tell a student, or excuse me, what a teacher, what I would tell a teacher is try to find a, for, for me, my example was a new wave, an entirely new philosophy, right? An entire new methodology of teaching. It doesn't have to be that though, right? It can be a new strategy, like the password thing, like a new system that you're implementing, that you're sort of investing into your classroom and your students. And I have to tell you, as soon as you do it, ask your students how it's working. Is it working well? Do they like it? Oh my gosh, you've got a gem. If they're kind of like, uh, iffy, you know, you know, if you have kindergartners, they're not going to be able to give you very valuable feedback, but they'll at least be able to give you a happy face or a frowny face on something that you're doing. But high schoolers, they'll give you all the feedback. And they did with me. They, they said, hey, you know, that doesn't really work. And I uh, like the password idea, but we can't remember it. Can you put it, can you write it down somewhere? You know, so I have all these placards now written down. So, so what you come up with as you come up with these new ideas or you steal and borrow from another influence, um, 
I will tell any educator, if you're not on Twitter, get on Twitter, go and follow every single teacher hashtag, um, join the chats. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can just Google Twitter education chats and you'll get one per night. You can just spend all your time on Twitter. It's amazing. Join Instagram. There's a family there of educators that are willing to, myself included, literally, you know, be on DMs up until the wee hours of night helping you. There is a community that is behind what I'm saying. And there's also a community that's not behind where I'm saying. It's sort of status quo. Let's give homework. Let's teach other textbook. Um, and it works well. So if it works well, let's just not change it. And that's a good, you know, that's a really good so, point that you bring up because that's where I was going to go to next, right? So I'm sure right. the high schoolers love to throw their books out the window and say, hey, we're not going to use these things anymore. But right. what about parents? How receptive to this are they? How much convincing did you have to do? Tell us a little bit None. more there. None. Um, so I'm in, a, I'm in a special situation. I have to admit we're a school of choice. Not a magnet school, but just a school of choice. We're a traditional public school. Um, receive funding in the same way that any other public school does, but our parents and families choose to come to us. So we automatically have a state of buy-in. Um, however, uh, the the strategies that I first started implementing were not at this current school. Um, they were at a previous school where we didn't have the same level of buy-in. Um, and, and I have three things on that. I think it's a really good question because parents, if they're not invested, well, first knowledgeable of, and then invested in, and then believe that it works, um, then you don't have that third leg of the stool. Education is a three-legged stool. Us is the schoolhouse, the, the, the parents, and, or, or the, the community, so to speak, right, the, around that student um, that's not the school, and then, the, and then the student. And if the parents and the community around that student are not invested, it can be really caustic. It can be really, um, really negative. And we're seeing a lot of that happen as a result of some of these debates of in school, not school, right? Um, parents are just not really, um, it, they're not bought in. Um, so uh, it, let's take my situation. I change everything. I get rid of desks. Um, I, I, I do all these sort of crazy things, right? I stop, stop using the textbook as much. And I sent an email out before I did it to my parents the parents of my students. And I said, Hey, this is, this is what I just learned. This is what I'm going to be doing. Um, if you have any questions, let me know. And it was crickets. Nobody said anything. There were two emails back after a week. And they said, Hey, I have my students coming back and they're really liking what you're doing. Congrats. So that was it. <laughs> Silence is acquiescence, Silence right? Silence is acquiescence. Yeah. And, and I know that there are communities out there. I've worked in a private school, situation and not all private schools are this way we can't paint you know giant swashes over over schools but it was a private school it was maybe your typical private school with a lot of parents that were really invested um they're invested literally with money and and they were really really concerned and really uh, aware right of of what we were doing in the in the classroom i think so i'm a parent of a one-year-old and a three-year-old so i can't really speak from experience because they're not school age yet but i have nine other nieces and nephews and, and, and five siblings and a family of educators. And what I can tell you about the education system and being a parent supporting the education system is I think when you flip it on its head and you say, how can I help the teacher? How can I help the schoolhouse? And how can I better understand something that I don't understand? 
I think those are three questions that can really, really move us forward and stop holding us back. I think when we jump into the judge or the pointing fingers, um, and sometimes it's warranted, I, I think we just are losing the battle. And my last point on this really good question is I think when we make our education system and we focus it around the adults instead of who it should be focused around, the students, we've lost the battle, right? I'm, we're concerned about the parents, sure. Let's communicate to them and let, us, let them know what project we're working on. Have them come into class and be an expert voice on what we're talking about. Include them and be proactive on being positive, not just negative. Those are four things you can do with parents that just get you, you know, from point A to point Z almost instantly. But when you get a conflict, if you've done those four things, the conflict just goes away almost immediately. And I've been in some really intense conflicts. Um, I just, I feel like it's like our job as with students. It's based on relationships. It's based on trust. And it's based on effective communication. And when you have those kind of laid out, you can flip your entire classroom, throw away your desks, get rid of your textbooks, and people are willing to jump there with you. That's been my experience. It's great to have such a supportive community behind you. And, you know, with students being engaged, I can see how parents would absolutely get on board. Mm -hmm. But if I think about the administration and, you know, there are the pressures of ensuring that you're meeting state standards and other potential district pressures. I mean, did you get any resistance from school administration? Yes, absolutely. So resistance, I think, is different than questions. And I got questions. It, they came from an email. You know, I believe in pre-communicating. Uh, I don't know if that's the right term, but I communicate out actively before I'm going to do something. I'm not a big do it and then ask for forgiveness. I like folks to know. I like transparency because I think it's been working out over the past 14 years and some really intense environments, right? These have not been easy, traditional, you know, super happy-go-lucky, all the kids are going to go to college environments that I've been working in. We've been working in some really tough environments. And while we have parent involvement, some of our students, a lot of our student population are, um, are coming from not fitting into the tra traditional mold, coming from struggling with schools, coming from hating school in the middle school years, and then seeking our school because we're offering something different. Um, and so the, the administrators are wanting to reflect that. They're wanting to provide this incredible experience for their community and their parents and their students by way of us teachers. So when they come in and ask a question like, how's it going? It's not a thing where they're trying to ask anything other than how's it going? Um, and if you say it's going well, they're going to ask you, give me some feedback on that. And I found that they want to know specifics so that if they get a phone call from a parent, you know, who's maybe sidewinding around the teacher and that happens, they know what's happening in Hinthorne's classroom. They know why he's doing it. And they know that students in general are really appreciating it. So then they can have your back. So that's been my experience. I've been blessed with having some amazing administrators who are supporting me as a language teacher. Now, I also realize I don't really have a state test. I never will, probably. I don't think they're going to do a language test. They have an AP test, but they don't have a Spanish one or two tests, right? That's not a thing. It's an elective. So I 
am also knowledgeable that I have have that sort of leeway, right? That grace. So an English teacher, if you're listening, you're saying, well, okay, cool, John, but I have state testing and and the light is is shown on me um, at a uh, at a at a class level, at a student level, at a parent level. You know, everyone's looking to see how my students are performing. I, I get that. I get that pressure. So I think maybe jumping off into a new land completely as I did may not be the most tactful and smart decision. You may want to implement strategies little by little to get a sense of of fresh air and um, move to where the students are. are, You know, tell them what you're doing as you're doing it. Uh, Don't just go rogue, you know. Um, I think going rogue is dangerous in any, any environment. So those would be some things. But yeah, they came in and asked me questions and sat in on my classroom and gave me feedback. And they said, Oh, don't do that. You know, and I was like, Okay, cool. I uh, what? Why wouldn't I do that? Oh, it just didn't, it didn't feel like you could one one, I'll tell you what what they asked me not to do. They, they said, um, it feels like you are acting the entire time. And we had 100 minute classes. And I don't think that this is sustainable for you. Because I was offering them a ton of input and um, giving them tons of stories and it was super interactive and high energy and I was exhausted. They were totally right. 300 minutes a day of doing that was not sustainable. So great feedback, right? But if I hadn't invited them in and then they wouldn't have known and they couldn't have given me feedback. It's just about being lockstep. Um, I don't think you have to convince anybody of anything um, because uh, I've three degrees, right? I'm a professional. I have experience. Um, And just like you don't go into a doctor's office generally and question everything that they're doing, you you generally say, oh, okay, cool. And if you want to know more, you ask questions. I think that's how we could move as a society with our teachers. Um, But uh, it's one of those things that everyone's been a student and we've all had teachers. And so I think we think we know how to teach. Um, and, and sometimes you can connect those dots, but a lot of the times you can't. I like your point about being lockstep. And I think what I pull out from that is also understanding what pressures or questions that the administration might have when you're Mm -hmm. communicating to them. So for example, you know, state testing or that they want to know a level of detail to be able to explain to parents. So maybe sharing with them exactly what you've shared with parents so that they have, you know, full transparency on what is being communicated out, that they can come into the classroom and that it's kind of open book and that you're seeking feedback. I think all of those things are great pointers when reaching out to the the school administrators because you can then um, kind of head off any concerns or questions they may have and instead make it an open and collaborative dialogue. So I think mm-hmm. that lockstep is a really great approach there. Yeah. If you had a teacher come to you saying, I've lost my passion. I'm tired of the conversations about what chapter are you on? Um, mm-hmm. What would you say? Where do they start? Right. Well, I've been there. Um, I think you continue to ask questions and usually what that teacher needs like any human is they need to vent a little bit. So I would just listen. I'd take you to coffee or whatever your beverage of choice is. And I'd say, tell me more. And then if I can 
guess, you know, what this, what, where this is going, question is going, it's a good question. I would probably lead most educators to their why. Why are you teaching? Why did you teach in the first place? Not a cynical, well, why are you doing this sort of thing? No, not like that. Just, hey, you know, check back in last year if this is your second year of teaching. And believe it or not, there are second year teachers that are thinking about leaving. Um, there are first year teachers that are thinking about leaving for some of these some of these reasons. But say we're in the 14th, 10th year, something like that, my situation. And I would say, hey, okay, think back 10 years, think back a decade. Why did you get into this? What was, what was your why? And the most common why is to support students, right? And, and to be better people and to learn to be better readers, something, something student related, usually really positive. Uh, we're a social institution. And, and I think connecting back to that why is the first instinct that I have to this question. And I think practically self-care, you know, is like the thing that people are telling. And, and, and I'm getting a little tired of hearing like, go and take care of yourself. Well, I can't really, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old and, you know, I'm doing podcasts at 11 o'clock at night and I'm planning from 12 to one in the morning and all that sort of stuff. And those are not good self-care things. Um, so some people just don't have the capacity to do that. But if you do try to go out for a run, try to meditate, try to do something to center yourself and find balance. Um, Cause a lot of people that are finding that energy lost is they maybe overworked they were overworked, right, by other people's asks. And all of that is so sad. It's like the Peter Pan fairy kind of, you know, dying in the corner, to use that, that metaphor from, from that, uh, that movie in that book. Um, like a little teacher fairy, you know, <laughs> ends up falling. Um, when, when I think about a teacher that has so much heart in the beginning of their career, and because of the battled nature of this profession um, after so long, you can easily find it um, tiring and that tiring nature over and over and over again. And um, it may be coupled with a community that doesn't support you or see eye to eye or an administrator that doesn't see eye to eye and support you. It can, it can really feel like, what the heck am I doing here? Um, so connect to your why and then try to get a little bit more balance or self-care and then go ask for help. Um, these are all things that I did in my quest to sort of revitalize and, and refresh. And frankly, I do every year because it sort of happens every year about this time in the, in the year, uh, we're talking in April, March and April, spring break time, almost every teacher and every student is feeling the same way. We're, the honeymoon is over. <laughs> we're tired of doing work. We love doing work. We love learning, but it's, we need a break, right? Summer is eminent. Um, some of some of our behaviors that are not going away can get real tiring real quick. And if they're not going away by April, we're like, oh my gosh, pulling our hair out. Um, and, and, and just being like a sounding board for that person and hearing their stories, maybe some of those were, were exactly what I just said. Uh, and then and then getting to the big question, is this really something you can, can you can continue doing? Um, do you see yourself in five years? Uh, having that energy back? Do you see yourself starting in August of next year, having that energy back? And I think if the answer is no, or if it's something related to no, walking through with that, that person and say, is there an alternative, right? Um, I want nothing more than to all of our teacher folks to start in August again, 
um, you know, minus a few people that this isn't their right profession for whatever reason. We need that continuance of, um, of education. We need all of that so desperately. Um, but, it, you know, if I'm having that conversation, I think being willing to say, are you willing to step away if you can't have that energy? Because uh, the students need it, you know? Nothing's worse than sitting in a classroom and having a teacher who's deflated and probably for, for great reason. Absolutely. I think that the passion or lack thereof certainly shows through. And so ensuring that you're passionate is really critical. What about any last tips for teachers who are looking to throw away that textbook, move all the desks out, or maybe just implement a strategy, a new strategy or two? What last tips do you have for, for those teachers who are ready to make a change? Try it. Just try it. You know, I mean, just go, go out on a limb and try it. If there's something that you've been wanting to do, go and try it and ask your students how it worked immediately. Tell your students you're trying something new tomorrow. Hey, next week, I'm going to be trying something new and I want your feedback. Go and try it and see how it went. That was the best advice that somebody gave me at the end of that training. The second one is get somebody to observe you uh, that you trust. That's not going to judge you. And find somebody, you know, a teacher that will be given, giving their prep time once or twice and just say, hey, quietly sit in the back of my classroom and I want you to watch this and this and this as you're trying something new. Um, and then the third one is, is something that I don't know if we're talking about as much. And I think it is um, advocate for yourself. Uh, be willing to say no to things. Uh, there's so much pressure in the beginning of being a teacher because you're young and you want to show off that you you, you 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 know what you're doing and you sign up for everything and you say yes to everything and then we're having our young teachers quit within the first five years at a giant level across our country and it's not okay so if you're a young educator listening to this podcast i'm speaking to you right now get help ask for help and come on to instagram i'll help you uh, I'm not a consultant. I won't charge you, but we just all have to band together and support each other. And I think to anybody who's a parent as well, my tip for you is to go back to some of those questions that I was asking. Take a deep breath before you send the email. Maybe do one of those angry emails and then put it in the drafts to never send it. You know, if you need to air out something, if you're feeling that amped about something, try those strategies. Uh, we are people as well, and we both want the same thing for our students. Those are a few tips kind of off the top of my head that I wanted to share with your your listeners, and I, and I hope they help. I think they're fantastic. If I were to summarize the episode, I mean, there's so many amazing tidbits that you've shared with our listeners, but I think for teachers thinking about where to start, starting with your why and thinking through why you became a teacher in your first place. What is that passion? What is that drive that pushes you? And then once you've centered on that, ask questions, talk to others, seek help as you think about how to get back to that why. Some great resources, Twitter education chats, joining Instagram and seeking out peers. And then just pick a strategy. You can overhaul everything or you can just pick a small strategy. But either way, just do it. Take steps. Take action. A fun little one, using passwords to enter the classroom, which I think can be used across multiple subjects, but John shared with us a great way to use it in language arts. 
And then once you've implemented that strategy or the, the complete overhaul, get student feedback as well as feedback from a friendly, somebody you trust, a, a peer, it could be your principal, whoever it is that, that you want to get that feedback from. Have them sit in the classroom and give you that feedback. Before you implement the strategy, though, do communicate out to parents in the administration, share information, seek questions, and be open about it because that will facilitate the success of your strategy. And finally, don't forget forget to advocate for yourself. You are the center of all of this. Your passion comes through and advocating for yourself is critically important to making this all a success. Now is a great time to make a change. Education has been changed dramatically by circumstances outside of our control in the pandemic. And so everybody's looking at a different way of doing things. So take a look and make the changes that will align and take you back to your passion. And the wise, wise words of Nike, just do it. Make sure to visit our website at themultipurposeroom.school to subscribe to this show. If you like the topics on this show, we share additional resources on our company blog at www.k12clothing.com. We'll see you next week in the Multipurpose Room.